Daniel's a prophet in the Old Testament, and this book gets weird. Um, it's, it's 12 chapters. The first six are very cut and dry stories from the life of Daniel while he is in exile. He is uh, Jewish, and the children of Israel are in exile in Babylon because of the generations of sin, and God is placing judgment on them, and they've been conquered by the Babylonians. And uh, chapters 1 through 6 are individual stories of his experience while in captivity. Um, 7 through 12, uh, the tone of the whole book changes, and it turns into apocalyptic prophetic literature of the future. And it gets a little bizarre, and it gets a little weird, um, but we're walking through some of these visions that the Lord has given Daniel um, to explain things to come. So we pick back up in Daniel chapter 9, but before we jump into all that, I want to start off by saying um, that I am not a prepper. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Doomsday preppers, you know? How many of you know the term prepper? Okay. Not that many? Okay. Well, thanks to... Pop the collar. It's a different kind of prepper. Uh, so, thanks to cable television, they have a show called Doomsday Preppers, and it's these kind of weirdos. If it's your family, I'm so sorry that they think the end of the world is coming by something, whether it's a, a virus that's going to wipe out people, or an economic collapse, or the government's going to turn on itself or civil war I mean you know and so what they do is they have a fortress they make their home and do you know the Alamo and they store all the food and they have all the weapons and they I read an article this week this week that there's a family and they were they were preppers they were very very anti-government and they got arrested for tax evasion because they didn't recognize the government so like, why should we pay like, okay well you're going to jail <laughs> and so uh, all of their assets and all of their property uh, were seized but they had this like fortress home on 100 acres and the home is going up for auction but the home is going did you realize the home no, is <laughs> the home the home is going up for auction but they're not letting people look at it before the auction because Yep. <laughs> they, they, they think that the house and the, pro, the 100 acres are booby trapped or like landmines. You know? So it's kind of so like. They just like send in some like frog or something. Yeah. Anyway. You know? So my home, my home is not booby trapped. Um, but. I think that there's, I'm saying this because I think that there's something, at least inside of me, um, though I'm not a prepper, uh, I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist for all of these horrible potential catastrophes. I do believe in the sovereignty of God, um, but there's something inside of me that really likes to be, uh, that likes the idea of, of being, being prepared, and in a sense of kind of like, Maybe I can I can control the situation, which I think is the is is the is the root desire behind kind of the, the prepper phenomenon, if you will, is that I don't know what's going to happen in the nation. Um, I speculate, you know, the virus or the economic collapse or takeover by somebody, 
Uh, but when all when there's chaos all around, I can do all that I can to be prepared for me and mine, right? I can have a fortress. I can have my guns stockpiled. I can have all the food. I can have the water filtration system. And it's all of this really a self-security mindset of I, I can't control that, but I can control this. You track with me? All right. And I really think that's that's the drive. And there's something inside of me that really resonates with that. And I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a human thing. Or I don't know if it's a male thing. Or I don't know if it's something where you know maybe I didn't care as much before I have a, a, a wife and a daughter now. But it's kind of like I wanna I wanna be in control of my my situation, even if things outside are are going crazy. Um, but if you take that wild concept of being a, a doomsday prepper and you tone it down, I think that it's the same root feeling and experience and desire that almost everybody any any American has anyway of of wanting to take care of ourselves not in the 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 collapse of the nation sort of way but at least my own maybe my own financial security you know I can protect myself by being wise with my savings account or dropping enough money in my 401k so that I'm taken care of you, you see where I'm going you know so it's this it's this self I don't think it's it's necessarily arrogant or, or even wrong, but it's this idea of like I'm not sure what the housing economies are going to are going to be like. I'm not sure about my job or I you know I don't know about you know inflation, but I want to I want to do all that I can to pad myself and do the right things financially um, to make sure that I me and mine are are good you know because I can't control that, but at least I can control this, and that's ultimately why people buy gold, right? We see all that buy gold. It's like gold is something that I can trust even if the economy and inflation go up up and down well I think you can do that with with anything that you might be able to latch onto for security you know it could be relationships you know that I might feel like I'm floundering now until I find that perfect relationship and when I find that then me and my husband me and my wife me and my family then we can you know at least we have each other you know and if things go crazy all you need is love right um, and you know, I can find security there, and I, you know, as long as I have somebody to love, then I can live wherever, and I can get get by. And it's the same idea, I think, of of, of kind of self preservation and self protection. Um, now, I want to take that one step further. All right, we got doomsday, we've got everyday financial. I want to make sure that I'm I'm set. One step further, I think we can make the spiritual application that. I don't like where our nation is going morally, you know? I don't like Roe Ro v. Wade. Like, I don't agree with abortion. I don't agree with the, the surge in the, the homosexual movement. I don't agree with the drop-off in, in marriage, you know? I don't, I don't like the trends that we see of out-of-wedlock babies. I mean, and on and on and on, but it's, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm, I'm Danny. But what am I going to do about that, right? The, the culture is crashing, and I could scream, you know, I could, I could pick at something, I could, you know, A, B, or C. As long as I'm right with God, right, me and my walk with Jesus, as long as I'm reading my Bible, as long as I'm confessing my sin, you know, God has given me the responsibility of, of a wife and a baby now, so I need to take, you know, it's part of my responsibility. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, take care of me and mine. Um, and hope for the best as the world plunges, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of a personal, self-sustaining 
doomsday prepper applied to our own personal walk with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Because, I mean, you know, Roe versus Wade is the, is the um, made abortion legal, you know, and it was made legal like before any of us were born. And so it's like, how do you overturn that? You know, that's, that's a bad thing. How do you change that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see it happening. Just be honest. I mean, you always have to say, well, we've got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. You know, he, God can do all th- Yeah, he can, but, like, yeah, we're not going in that direction. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not going in a, in a direction of, like, of resurgence or revival. Um, and so it just seems like the, the next best thing is just to make sure that I'm right with God. And then maybe at that point I can hang out with other people who, who are right with God and, and kind of ultimately hope for the best. What if... That's the worst possible thing you can do spiritually. What if the self-sufficiency, just take care of myself spiritually, is actually a a sinking factor spiritually? What if I'm not saying that we should neglect our personal walk with Jesus, all right? But what if the attitude and the perspective of what can I possibly do to turn this this drowning culture around. So I'm, I'm just going to focus on me and mine because that is the primary calling in my walk with, in my, in my walk with Christ. But what if, that, what if that were dangerous? What if, what if that mentality and that mindset actually lent itself to the spiritual, the further spiritual dimming of our culture, which eventually the dimming turns to darkness, Right? What if, that, what if that just me and Jesus personality, perspective, excuse me, actually sped the dimming of the, of the spiritual lights in America? We, we see, we see, that, we see that the cycle of, you know, Europe in the Dark Ages and then the Reformation. It's like the lights came on. And so many of the church fathers that we read and we feed from came from Europe. And, you know, we're going back to Europe. We just came back from the Czech Republic, and a team of us are going to Germany, and it's like, it's dark, and it's atheist, and they don't care, and they're not interested, and the churches aren't churches anymore. They're museums with, with uh, souvenir shops, you know? The lights have turned off. There's just, there's just a straight-up disinterest there. But we see the lights turning on in places like the Koreas, you know, and China, um, where it, the lights have been off. You see what I'm saying? And I, and I really think that we would probably all agree that in the United States we see... We see that the lights dimming, and what if they're dimming, partially because those of us that are Christians have that I can't control the control the culture, so I'm just going to focus on me and my walk with Jesus. And what if that's actually speeding the process up? When we look at the beginning of Daniel chapter nine, we see actually all of chapter nine except for the last seven verses eight verses, is a prayer. All right, it's not a vision. Um, there's a vision that's coming at the end of the prayer in response to the prayer. <clears throat> but the beginning of Daniel, chapter 9, is actually a prayer of Daniel. So I want us to read that prayer with a little bit of background information of, of, of kind of what I've been trying to talk about, about us being inward, self-sufficient, focused in our own walk with with Christ. So, I'm going to read this whole prayer, which is 19 verses. And I'd like for you to follow along if you have it. 
We're going to read this again later. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azorus, by descent a Mede, <clears throat> who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the God and awesome God, who keeps covenants and steadfast love and those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. Verse 8. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your laws and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing us a great calamity. For under, for under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. The Lord our God is righteous in the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all around us. Now, therefore, O God, <clears throat> O our God, listen to the prayer of your servants and is pleased for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, because, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. <clears throat> Daniel is praying a prayer for his people, for his nation. Um, 
it is a very heartfelt prayer. Hopefully you, you, you felt it reading the text there. I think this is difficult. I think it's really pretty to read in Scripture. Um, but some of the applications that we see here are applications that, to my own shame, I haven't made for myself. I do think that we live in a, in a day and an age where we are very, very focused on kind of me and mine, me and my walk with Jesus. And you see this prayer of Daniel that is so heartfelt, but he is, is praying prayers of, of, of pleading God for mercy and forgiveness because they have sinned. And they are continuing to sin. They haven't stepped out of their sinfulness yet. What we see at the beginning of this is uh, it, we're going we're to look at four things in this prayer. The first thing that we see is that when Daniel prays, he, he, before he prays, he's reading the scriptures. In verse 2, at the, in the second half of verse 2, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Israel, namely 70 years. Daniel was a young teenager when he was brought into exile, um, and most scholars agree that he was alive when the decree, the decree was sent out for the nation of Israel to be sent back, all right? And what Daniel's doing is he is spending time reading the word, and he actually reads the, 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 the foretold prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 29 that his people will return to the promised land, and it'll take place after 70 years. And Daniel is kind of like, that's coming up, <laughs> you know? Like, really? I mean, the word of the Lord had, had largely been forgotten, um, even though it was all laid out. You know, it was laid out in Ezra and Nehemiah, or Ezra, uh, Jeremiah and Jeremiah, that um, this is going to happen if you turn your back on the nation of Israel. You're going to be taken over. Not vaguely taken over, but taken over by the Babylonians. <laughs> and then you'll be there for 70 years. It's all very specifically told. And then it happens, and it all kind of gets forgotten. The children of Israel, even though they're in Babylon, even though they're in exile, they haven't turned back to God. And Daniel rereads this text of these prophecies, and he sees that it's beginning to come true. Let me read this. If you want to turn, you can. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Pretty straightforward, right? I mean, that's what's happening. Um, verse 11. This is the verse that we've all heard before. Anybody know how it starts? <laughs> for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. All right? So we, you know, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans prosper, give you hope in a future, um, that's like on the greeting card, right? Um, and the backstory that we don't often know is that this is going to come after a pretty bitter judgment that you've brought upon yourself. But I am God, I will keep my promises, I will keep my covenant, and when you return to me, I will bring you back. When you return to me, not this blanket statement of like, I'm just going to let time out run out on you for your misbehavior and then I'll bring you back and see how you do. No, I'm going to put you in captivity and when you return to me, I will bring you out of the land. But it's foretold that it would be 70 years. 
But Daniel looks at this text and says, 70 years is coming up, but we haven't turned back. We haven't turned back. We, we have not returned to the God of our fathers. We're still living in Babylon, and we're still living sinful lives. And so what does Daniel do? He prays aggressively in sackcloth and ashes on his knees, petitioning, soliciting, begging God for mercy. We are wicked, he says. We are unrighteous. We, we have lived lives of treachery. And you have brought on us the result of those actions, which is calamity and exile. But, but you are good. You are righteous. You are merciful. We have sinned. We have blown it. We have done wrong. Have mercy on us. Save us. Bring us back for your namesake, he says. So this whole prayer begins by Daniel reading scripture and seeing the signs of the times. Flip to Luke, New Testament, Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, 54. This is Jesus speaking. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus is saying here you have the information that you need to interpret the era and the culture that you're living in and you're responsible for seeing your culture where it's at accurately and the only way that you can do that is through the lens of the word of God without the word of God without looking at scripture we will numb, guaranteed. Only the scriptures can sharpen us. Yeah? Only. And I fall into this trap, like, like you do, of just kind of numbing to our culture. But we've already established that we see the, the lights dimming. I'm making that assumption that, that you also see that. But I feel like I see the lights dimming spiritually in our nation. Most people would not make the rather audacious statement that we are a Christian nation. We're just, we're just really, we're really not, you know? Um, there's a lot of people that hold to the Judeo-Christian ethic, but that's not, you know, that's not Christ following, you know? And so Jesus is saying, you gotta be honest about where you're living. You've gotta see the culture and the level of sin and depravity in the church and outside of the church accurately because you're responsible for it. And that there is a judgment coming. And ultimately, that's what Daniel sees in chapter 9. That he, see, he looks into the scripture, he sees accurately what's going on, and he, he again sees more clearly that his, that his people have not turned to Christ, and so he drops down and bows in prayer as a result of seeing his culture clearly, 
asking God for mercy and forgiveness and to turn his people back to him for the sake of his own name. So Daniel first looks at scripture in order to see his culture clearly. The second thing that we see in Daniel 9 is an acknowledgement of God's own character. When we, sing, when we sing and pray prayers of praise and worship, what we're doing is we're drawing our attention back to truth. And we are always going to benefit the more that we are drawn back to truth. The more that we can see a situation more clearly, more truthfully, more accurately, the better the situation is going to be for us, right? If you're in a bad relationship and you don't see it clearly, what's the best thing to happen? You need to begin seeing it more clearly, right? If you're in a situation where you've invested a bunch of money and it's starting to look a little shady and things are starting to go downhill, you're like, eh, no, 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 I think it's okay, I think it's okay, I think it's okay, and then it sinks. The best possible thing for you to do is to see the truth of the matter so that you can act appropriately. The truth is always going to help. The truth is always going to help. And so when we go to the truths that we know and sometimes forget, that have to relate to the character of God, that he is good, that he is righteous, that he will keep his promises, that he loves, that he forgives, that he is a God of mercy, even though we would say we know all those things, to go back and spend time uh, thinking, praying, speaking audibly to each other, and lifting up the great character traits of God draws us more, it draws us closer and closer to him. That's what praise and worship does. And so that's why we're commanded to sing songs of praise and worship, not because we need new information, but because we need to, to repolish the truths that have become tarnished by the nature of the sinful world that we live in so that we can more accurately see how big our God is and how great our God is and how much we need him because we forget, don't we? Our, our culture, our church, our, our young adult ministry forgets. We don't, we don't say that we forget, but to say that God is actually in control of this situation, you know, 100%. But I forget that, and so therefore I fall into fear and anxiety and confusion and discouragement and woe. Therefore, I fall. Into, those are my responses when I forget the true character traits of God. And when I polish that back up and I lift it up and I say, wow, God is in control, and I'm not in control, and he is a good God, and he is working all things together for his glory and for my benefit, and he knows what's going to happen tomorrow, even before I did, then suddenly my, I just change, right? My perspective changes. My feelings change. My attitudes towards other people change. I begin to let go of those things that burden me. I begin to live a, a, in, a, in a different sort of way that is just lighter because I'm not bearing the burdens that I'm not designed to bear because God can bear them. So Daniel goes through the course of this prayer and acknowledges the true character traits of God. Third, he goes into confession of sin and the pleading for mercy and forgiveness. Never fun or easy or <coughs> desired. <laughs> you know? And never do you fall into a situation where you say, I can't wait to fess up for how I blew it. You know, I just, I am so ready to just outline all my dirt. <laughs> you know, it is, it is not easy and not fun. But you know what I don't want to ask forgiveness for? Abortion. 
I didn't do it. You know, that's the, that's a culture problem, right? I didn't make, I didn't do, I didn't vote for Roe v. Wade. I stand up against, against it. Um, how can I be held accountable for that? If I didn't do it, why should I confess it? You know, that's not me. You know, I've lived a pretty good life. You know, I've not smoked anything. You know, so why should I have to feel bad about other people's mess ups, or other people's sin, or the dimming of our culture? You know, <laughs> what does that have to do with me? Why should I plead for mercy from God for things that I didn't do? Second Chronicles 7 continues to outline the repeated promises of God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn their wicked ways, then I will heal, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will open, my ears will become attentive to their prayer that is made in this place. We are a body of Christ. You've heard all those scriptures before. You know? We're not all pinkies. We're the hands, the feet, the arms, the legs, the eyes, the ears, the mouth. We are the body of Christ. And we are in this together. And the self-sustaining, self-sufficient, build my own fortress, just make sure that I'm reading my Bible, and if I happen to sin... If I happen to look at something I shouldn't on the internet, then I'll, I'll work and confess it, and I'll find some accountability. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Me, 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 me. And I'll be my own little shiny fortress all by myself <clears throat> that doesn't help a body. You know? It's almost like if you're a soldier in war and you're praying, God, help me to survive this battle. You know? When we should be praying... God, help us to win the war, right? To, ch- to change it from my own pursuit to say that we as, as a nation ought to confess our sins before God. Because I do believe, and Scripture teaches, that there are levels of corporate sin that even if you don't commit personally, will be held accountable for. I believe that we as a nation will be held accountable for uh, the actions that America takes morally. <clears throat> I believe that. Um, I believe that you could point at different nations around the world um, that are... I mean, I've been to a lot of countries, and I've seen a lot of darkness, and I've seen... Um, some places that are, are, so, are so dark with the occult and, you know, um, despicable moral behavior, um, you know, I, w- I went to a country visiting my sister, uh, went to a neighboring country of, uh, 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 I don't into it. It's just bad. And it's it's dark, and it's and it's oppressive to, to to everybody, even if you're not specifically participating in those 
particular sins. You follow what I'm saying? And throughout Scripture, we see prophets, we see, we see these type of prayers that are calling out corporately for us to turn from our sins. And I believe that that applies to me and my family. I believe that applies to me and the young adult ministry, us and the young adult ministry. I believe that that applies to us as a church, East Cooper Baptist Church. Um, we're not all bright and shiny here, you know? I think that this is an awesome, godly group of people. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't get together and say, God, forgive us of, of our sins and, and plead for mercy. And say, God, God, God turn our, our hearts here first and use us, God, to turn our hearts of this church and then, God, use that to turn the hearts of the state and this nation back to you. How are you going to do that? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Like, could revival happen? I don't understand revival, but, but that's what Daniel's praying for. You know, he's saying that, that we have turned and, 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 and by and large, we are not pursuing the God of our fathers, which is true of America. And I think that if we fall into the, the wrong perspective that is just about me and my own walk with Christ or us, you know, as long as there's no gross sin over here, you know, and as long as we're all in community groups, then, then we, we're then we're a commune, right? We're a little prepper community. That then we're sticking. That's not the way we're called to live, or even view ourselves as a culture or as a body of Christ. Confession. And the fourth thing that we see in the in the prayer of Daniel is that Daniel is asking for these things for the sake of God's own name. If you look back at Daniel chapter 9 and you look at the last <laughs> verse of the prayer, it says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city, your city, your people are called by your name. Earlier in the prayer, it says that your people have become a byword, meaning that we have become despicable to other people. Because we have fallen, we have fallen hard, and it is tarnishing your name, is what Daniel is saying. And for your glory, may other people see your greatness as you restore us. Now, on, on the surface, that sounds a little arrogant, right? Yeah. right? For your good, why don't you help us out? But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying because you are ultimate, because you are on top, <clears throat> because you deserve all the glory, you have already de declared us your people. Like that's, that's established. People are saying, look at the people of Yahweh here. Look at the people, the people of God, and they're in exile. Restore us and make your name great. Lauren and I have been uh, very anxious about our travels to Germany because we're taking our little baby girl on this airplane. And uh, we have found ourselves um, most concerned about the flight with the potential 
Screaming Baby for nine hours. Eight hours. Um, over uh, the project for the kingdom of God <laughs> that we're doing at this camp. And I'm thankful for Lauren pointing that out, that as we pray and say, God, give us a good trip. <laughs> Help Eva to do well. Help us to know what to do. Help us to be patient. That, unfortunately, my sin has drawn my prayers to ask God for those things so that I'll be comfortable and that I won't be embarrassed. When what I ought to be praying is first, God, thy will be done. But we want to hit the ground running. We want to be fresh when we get there. We want to be able to engage wholeheartedly uh, this camp of 80 English uh, German students with the gospel. Um, and God, whether she's screaming or she's sleeping, help us to be ready to do your work. You know what I mean? Um, and I've had a hard time praying that prayer, honestly. Um, because of I'm thinking about me, and, and then I'm thinking about me some more. <laughs> you know? Um, and Daniel is drawing attention throughout the course of this prayer to God and his glory, which ought to be what part of our prayers do. Let's move on in the text. Verse 20, Daniel 9, verse 20. This is where it gets interesting. It takes a little bit of a weird twist. Verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, this is Daniel, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, quote, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And the last couple of verses are the vision. But first, what we see here is we see Daniel's prayer answered, in a sense, responded to immediately. Why? Verse 23 at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and you were heard. <laughs> An angel showed up. This is not the vision. The vision's coming later. All right, so this isn't part of the vision that Daniel sees. But Daniel prayed this prayer, and his words were heard and responded to by the God of the universe. And he was then given a vision of what the future was going to look like as a result of his prayers. Now... We all would probably say prayer changes things. You know, we're, we're all supposed to pray, right? Um, but then on the other hand, some of us might say, well, if God's all-knowing and God already has the plan and everything's you know, set in stone, then what can we really do about all of that? Flip to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 2. I'm going to quote something from John Piper. Um, it's pretty amazing. 
definitely can't claim it myself, but he was teaching on James chapter 4. James chapter 4 says this, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Once again, the last verse, the last, the last sentence in, in verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. This is what John Piper said about this. He said, prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. If you do not avail yourself to the privilege of bringing tongue twisted here. If you do not avail yourself of the privilege of bringing to pass events in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, you are acting like a colossal fool. Once again, prayer, he's saying of this text, you do not have because you do not ask. Prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray for them. If you do not avail yourself to the privilege of bringing to pass events in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, then you are acting like a colossal fool. Daniel prayed, and his prayer was responded to. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And so often, I think that we, we fall into maybe indifference. Because it's kind of like, well, what, what does this have to do with me? What can I do to change things? How can I make a difference? I'm not responsible for that. I didn't do that. The tide has already shifted. The ship is already sinking. As long as I'm keeping me and mine safe, in my walk with Jesus, then we're okay. Daniel didn't do that. All right. Moving on to the last section is the, the short vision that Daniel receives from the angel in response to his prayer because he prayed. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall be, destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree, the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That makes sense? No. <laughs> yeah, what well, he said. This is a very short vision and arguably uh, one of the most disputed texts in scripture. Um, it speaks of 70 weeks that are to take place. And nearly all scholars agree that that 70 weeks is actually referred to 70 sets of seven years. Okay, 70 sevens. And you can go back in the original languages. I'm going to give a brief overview of this because I believe that the, the bulk of this text um, is the prayer. We see the prayer, then we see the vision. 
All right, we could spend weeks on either one of these, but just to briefly go over this vision. So what we have is 70 sets of seven, and then of the 70 sets of seven years, we have three distinct eras. All right, it says um, in verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build the kingdom or build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince that shall be seven weeks, then for 62 weeks. All right, so there's a period of seven sevens, which is 49 years. Is that a breezing? You guys are tracking here? 49 years, followed by 62 sets of sevens, which is 434 years. And then there's a final one set of seven, which is seven years. Now, there's a, a broad range of opinion on how this actually plays out, because you read scripture like this, and what you want to do is you want to get out the, the whiteboard and the pen and be like, all right, so this is when this happens, and then this is here, and then what this means is this right here, and this king served here, and this seven, 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 completion, you know, all this different kind of stuff. And, um, I mean, at the end of the day, there, there's confusion on this matter. And Buster would refer to this text as a, a text that um, addresses really the periphery. If you've ever been a part of the, um, the new members class, Buster will go through this example of, of a target and he says there's there's lots of issues in scripture and lots of areas for us to agree or disagree and what we want to focus on here at East Cooper Baptist Church is what is in the middle you know what are the things that we need to agree about Christ alone faith alone um, the inerrancy of scripture you know these things if you, if you if you disagree on these other things you know that's okay as long as we agree on the, the center things and the interpretation of this text Though I'm going to go into very specific truths that we can all hold on to, regardless of how you interpret this text, is one of those outlying uh, issues. Does that make sense? All right. So some people say that this is actually just 70 years uh, or 70 weeks, and it actually refers to a time of persecution during Artaxerxes or uh, Antiochus. You know, but other that's minor. Few people believe that. A lot of people say, well, it's actually not specific times but broad symbolic eras, like the seven, the seven sets of seven is, is this era, which is their time. And then the 62 era is maybe the church age. And then the last era is actually um, when Christ makes his second return. I believe that a lot of the people that we, um, Eddie Cooper would um, read, even though this isn't a specific printed statement, we would see that the 70 sets of seven would probably, would one example that I happen to hold to is that it's, uh, it's actually 490 years and that there's 49 years where the temple was built that we see the decree going out from Artaxerxes and you can research all this stuff. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, he sent out the decree and it says here when the decree is made to rebuild Jerusalem, it took a long time, right about 49, 50 years. And then we see the, se the second era of 62 years um, taking... Um, timeline all the way to uh, the time of Christ, pretty pretty accurately and specifically to the, the set of, of four to seven years that almost comprehensively it's agreed upon when the, the crucifixion took place. And then the final seven years refer to um, the time of Christ and his crucifixion and the going out of the, um, of the church from that point forward. Um, and so however you interpret it, all right. However you interpret it, what is very clear in this text is, to me, the exciting part. Look at verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. To finish, there are six things listed here. 
to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both the vision and the prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. And that's referring to the Messiah, to anoint a most holy place. There are six things that are coming. All right, the angel of the Lord came to Daniel and he said, these things are coming. You know what it is? It is great things. The end of sin, atonement for your sin, forgiveness, and an everlasting righteousness, which means the beginning of a new era, a beginning of a new kingdom that you are called to, that there are going to be tough times that come, that there are going to be judgments that happen, but my promises will be made sure that they will be found in completion in the end. Now, when does that happen? Is it here or is it here? Is it here? Maybe we're just not supposed to know because all through the visions, we see some information very clearly given to us and some information very, it seems obvious that there's certain information that is withheld from us. And we talked about how last week, if you're going to have faith in anything, that faith demands that by definition, that there's an element that you are not in control of or you don't know, which means you have to have faith, right? We talked about that last week. So what we see in these promises and these visions are the same themes. I am in control. I have a concrete timeline going on here. Um, there will be judgment when you walk away, but you know what? I will keep my promises. And that there is a coming king, a coming Messiah that will fulfill all of these things. And that is your hope. That is what you build your life upon. That is what makes all of this worth it. Whether you're down here or up here, or you're in exile, or you've returned to the promised land. So, when we see this, when we see the prayers of Daniel, I believe that it's a calling on us to see ourselves in a more corporate way. You know, that we are supposed to be more and more and more and more involved corporately in the body of Christ. Praying corporately, confessing corporately, in community groups, involved in Sunday morning fellowship, worshiping together. And it's not just about you and Jesus. That's part of it. But if that's all it is, then I think that we will help dim the, dim the lights if we don't want to do that. Father, I thank you for your word, even for texts that can be difficult. Father, may we not get bogged down in things that are um, uh, uh, truly confusing. But Father, help us to see clearly the things that you have shown us clearly. And that is that you are in control, Father, that you are the one who is merciful. You are the one that offers forgiveness. Father, you are the one who is great and mighty, and that you are the one who will fulfill all of this in, in your timing. And Father, we are called to fall on our face before you. Acknowledge you as God, confess our sins before you, and walk together as a body. Please help us with that. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.